Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 119. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm really excited to introduce a very special guest, Tom Cotter. Tom, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm just waiting for one of my crew guys to come and help me tighten this shoulder strap here. But other than that, I'm ready to go. Okay. I love it. It's fantastic to have you here. Tom Carter has been a car crazy guy his entire life. After selling his company in 2000, he bought himself a 289 Cobra and drove across the United States with his pal, Peter Egan. Yes, that Peter Egan. His car collection grew and he wrote his first book, Home and Moody, The Legendary Team. And then he wrote a series of six books on barn finds, including The Cobra in the Barn, The Hemi, The Vincent, The Corvette, and The Harley in the Barn. His latest book, Fifty Shades of Rust, was just released. He's written biographies. He's been the contributing editor at Road & Track Magazine for 12 years and writes for the New York Times. He's the former co-chairman of the Amelia Island Concorde d'Elegance, and he teaches public relations at Belmont Abbey College. And his latest build is a 32 Ford Highboy Roadster that he's dreamed about since he was 15 years old. So, Tom, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take some time and share some more about your history, your business and career, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Sure. You know, I I think I'm a living example of uh, the old saying, you know, do one thing and do one thing right. I only do one thing, and I only do cars. At a dinner party, I'm either the most boring guy or uh, the most exciting guy, depending on who the audience is. But <laughs> I don't, I don't fish and I don't hunt and I don't follow uh, football, and I, I've never played golf. You know, I'm a one-trick pony, and it's all I've ever done, and I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm 60 years old now, and I'm as excited about cars as when I was 14 years old. I just got back literally from the SEMA show in Las Vegas last night. Mm -hmm. And I was out there. My son works for Ford Motor Company. I'm walking around my son looking at Deuce High Boys and stuff. And I felt like I was 14 again. (laughs) And, you know, and it's it's funny. No no matter what my age, 
uh, the same things ex that excited me as a kid excite me now. So when I was a, uh, a young guy, like so many other people, my passion was Rod and Custom and, and Hot Rod Magazine. It's funny because one of the columns in Rod and Custom that I was most intrigued with was called Vintage Tin. And this was when I was, you know, probably 12, 13, 14 years old. There was a column about discovering old cars. And they'd show these desert scenes with 32s and 34 coupes and stuff that were kind of sitting there. And cars that people were able to find and, and bring back home and restore or hot rod. And I never knew that vintage tin would be something that would one day be a part of my livelihood and my career in the making of these books, these barn find books. And I loved racing. And I said, well, you know, I'd like to be a race driver, but that's probably not going to happen. You know, I came from a uh, family that didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a garage, didn't have any tools. So, well, maybe I can make my livelihood in the racing industry. When I got out of school, I, I went to, uh, I opened a mechanic shop and we specialized in Japanese auto repairs. And I used it as a stepping stone to race my Datsun 510. Oh, perfect. In road racing, which interestingly, I still have that car and I'm about to start restoring it to its it was a road car slash race car. I drive it to the track, race it, and drive it home, and I'm about to restore it at that same condition. Cool. I started off as a mechanic and then worked in an auto parts store and then was a car salesman at a Ford dealership. But all the time, there was something on a professional level that I sought more than getting my fingernails dirty. There was something I wanted to do on the professional end, and I found out there was this career called public relations. And PR was something that I didn't really know what it was, but it had to do with sales, and I was a good salesman, and it had to do with writing. And I loved reading, and I had just started to write. I was writing uh, a racing column uh, for races that I was doing at Bridgehampton and Lime Rock for the local sports car newsletter. And there was this career called PR, and it kind of sounded like, wow, maybe I could do well at that. So I, I kept pursuing that, kept pursuing it one day. Uh, a guy who owned a PR agency in northern New Jersey called me up and said, I think uh, I may have an opportunity for you. Somebody gave me a chance 30 years ago, and now I'm going to give you a chance. And so he um, offered me a job, and I, you know, I had, we just bought a house on Long Island, and yet this job was made available to me in northern New Jersey. So it was a tough commute for two years. Mm -hmm. It took me two and a half hours each way. Each day when everything went right, if there was snow or an accident or something, it was even longer than that. But I, oh, I, gosh. <laughs> I, I couldn't say no to a job that I'd wanted for so long. So right. I did that. And, and after a couple of years there, I was offered a job at Charlotte Motor Speedway as the PR director. I worked under a guy named Humpy Wheeler for a number of years and really, really learned the PR business at that point. And, uh, Four years into that, I, I opened up an agency called Cotter Communications with one other person, and we had a folding card table we worked off. <laughs> and uh, from the, from there, for the next 13 years, it grew to you know somewhere about 80 people, and we had all the best accounts in racing, and it, it was amazing. We were the largest racing agency in the world, and we became the acquisition targets for many, many large marketing, advertising, sports marketing companies. Nice. Uh, so I didn't plan on selling the business, but when somebody offered me this number, they wrote down on a piece of paper. I said, oh, my God, it's Cobra time. So <laughs> sold that business in 2001 and bought a Cobra, drove it across the United States with Peter Regan, who had by that time become a good friend 
we never put the top up on the car. We drove it from Walnut Creek, California to Davidson, North Carolina over the course of nine days. No hurry, no, you know, not one of these bonsai cannonball runs. We were able to um, go the speed and the direction we wanted to go in, go, let's go north, let's go south. And I've always had a lot of cars, uh, but at that point I really started to <laughs> acquire cars that I've wanted for a long time. But I still own the 39 Ford Woody wagon I bought when I was 15. I still own the 53 Ford two-door wagon I bought when I was 18 for 85 bucks. So now I have a very eclectic, eclectic collection of cars, mm-hmm. which include usually in categories, old Fords, import cars, British cars especially, uh, the, the Cobra, a couple of Morris Miners, an MGTD, a Mini Cooper, and I've had other really cool Lamar, Austin Healy's and things like that. Uh, and while well, my race car these days is a, a Corvette Stingray 1964 fuel-injected Corvette. Nice. So there I am. I mean, when I sold the business, I had to stay on for a couple of years. And now that time is over. And for about the last 12 years, the, the handcuffs have been cut. And I write books and uh, uh, just have fun with life. And play with cars. Fantastic. What a wonderful story. And that's exactly all the reasons I wanted to have you as a guest here on Cars Yeah, because you really have lived that car guy life and continue to in your so-called retirement, although you're a very busy guy. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start talking or start talking with my guests rather about a success quote, a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, something that has meaning to you, and it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So Tom, take the wheel. Well, really, the, the kind of the quote that's fueled my career, I, I'm not afraid to take chances. I'm a very cautious businessman, but I'm not afraid to take chances. And so I, I've always termed it that I'll always jump off the cliff and just have the confidence that I'll be able to grab onto a root or a branch before I slam the bottom, you know, like an old roadrunner uh, <laughs> cartoon. But I've always been able to kind of save myself before before crashing. And so I haven't had too many failures in my business career uh, or in my car career. I mean, just buying and selling cars. I mean, I've owned hundreds of cars and I've probably only lost money on two or three of them. Uh, I don't buy them to make a profit. I buy them for fun. But if you can come out of that fun with uh, be a little bit cash ahead, well, that's a good thing. So, yeah, you know, I, I encourage people, you know, if you in your heart believe it's the right thing to do, jump off the cliff. Yeah, go for it. Pedal to the metal. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? Tell me about that pivotal moment as you remember it when you really knew you were a car guy. Mm. You know, it was such a slow transition uh, from <laughs> from learning to walk to being a car guy. It, it uh, You know, I don't know when it happened. I mean, I guess it was when, you know, in grade school, when kids were you know, getting excited about joining baseball teams and soccer teams and football. You know, I wasn't really that into it. And they, you know, other kids were excited about, you know, going to Woodstock and buying all these albums, you know, Jimi Hendrix albums and stuff. And I just wasn't into that either. I was kind of the guy that stood out there by himself being interested in cars. And it's funny, now I go to, I see people I graduated high school with 40 years ago, and and I'm still the guy who... um is still passionate about his his one the one thing that I was you know that I I loved when I was a kid yeah and I guess it's funny 
my wife and I used to go camping at Lime Rock Park, Connecticut, every year for the IMSA Camel GT races back in the 70s mm-hmm. and uh, maybe early 80s. You know, we'd camp out with a bunch of friends we'd made over the years and, you know, would sit there and watch the races and then would play Frisbee and, you know, when the races weren't going on and, and drink maybe a little bit too much beer and whatever. And and these guys were college students and they went on to become doctors and lawyers and well-known professional people. And yet I was the guy in their mind that made it. I mean, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a lawyer, but I was the guy that got to make a profession out of the passion that they shared as well. So yeah. when, when you have people like that that get PhDs and they look up at you, that's probably the moment I said, wow, maybe I did something right. <laughs> I think so. That's fantastic. Tom, what I would love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and, and crawl under the hood and maybe get our hands a little bit dirty. You talked about not really recalling any big failures in business because you had that attitude of just jump and and uh, make good decisions. But perhaps you could share with us a huge challenge or maybe something that felt like a failure at the time that you faced, but more importantly, how you overcame that situation and what you learned from it. Well, it probably would be when I left Charlotte Motor Speedway where I had a pretty secure job. And, and to some people, that would be a destination career, being the director of public relations at at the time, the, the best speedway in the country, if not the world. That's not a job that many people would leave on their own. Yet, you know, I saw um, other opportunities on the horizon. So I left. And when I left, my boss, who's still a great friend, Humpy Wheeler, said, you know, I, you're going to regret leaving. And, you know, uh, I'd be surprised if you made it a year in your own company. I'll give you another chance. You can stay here. And he showed me all sorts of plans and opportunities I would have if I stayed. And I said, you know, Humpy, I really appreciate it. But I need to go explore what I feel in my heart is the right thing. Mm-hmm. And my plan was to have the most professional public relations agency on earth, not just automotive related or auto racing related, but professional public relations or, or public relations for cars and motor, and motor racing executed to the highest level. And so my first client was General Foods. Uh, I had to work with this driver named Michael Waltrip, who everybody knows now for the wrong reasons, for <laughs> Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. Um, his first NASCAR clients were Country Time Lemonade and Post Cereals. And so I was given X amount of dollars to run that business for the year go to every NASCAR race and, you know, every single expense, office expense, salaries, lights. This was really pre-computers. We had the Radio Shack TRS-80s back then. <laughs> so I had to get every every expense, travel expenses to California, to Michigan, you know, all this stuff. I had to, every expense had to come out of this one pot of money, which it, it was $165,000. Salaries, everything, insurance, you name it. And most of my competitors in the PR world were getting much more than that. And everybody, the whole world was looking at me. Did I make the wrong move leaving Charlotte Motor Speedway? And yet I, I couldn't fail because that means Humpy would have been right that I wouldn't make it for the year. So I took my Volkswagen GTI and drove it to all but two of the NASCAR races in 1989. Drove it to Pocono twice and, and Michigan twice and yeah, I didn't drive it to uh, California, but uh, Daytona and Delaware and I mean, everywhere where all my comp- all the competitors I was 
you know, working kind of side by side in the media center, they were flying to all these races. So when the race was over on Sunday in Michigan, I had to drive home all night and start preparing for the next one. I decided if I finished the year, 1989, with $1 remaining in my bank account that I would have proved Tumpy wrong <laughs> and I would have been a success. And I think I wound up with about 1200 bucks left at the end of the year. Nice. And I split it up among my staff and we had a party and, and that began, began the first of 13 years of incredible growth. Nice. Uh, and all the people that were flying to races and, you know, treating themselves to big fancy steak dinners, you know, they're still doing the same job now. And I'm, I've moved beyond that three times. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Wonderful story. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum and have you share a story when you had a real aha moment in your career, a time when you realized that, you know, this idea is really going to make it. And tell me the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. Well, boy, I think I've, my whole life is full of aha moments. I have one, <laughs> I one a day, I think. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a serial entrepreneur. And so starting businesses, running businesses I don't care for, but starting them, I love starting them because I come up with the idea and then I hire the right people to run them. Mm-hmm. I guess opening my agency was one. When I worked at the Speedway, Humpy sat me down and said, okay, what do you want to be doing in five years? You know, the, the old boss, you know, yeah. wants to hear that I want your job, sir. Sure. And, and I said, well, in five years, I'd ro- I want to own the best PR agency in motorsports. And like his eyes opened up like, whoa, you want to leave here? I said, well, yeah. <laughs> and uh, because I saw opportunities out there, that things, the, the, the business was being handled very sloppily. And I thought, wow, I, c- I think I can bring some order and, and uh, high quality to the, to the whole world of motorsport, public relations, and marketing. So mm-hmm. I think that was an aha moment when uh, I had to tell my boss that one of these days, pretty soon, I'm going to leave. And I guess it was within a year, I did leave yeah. and uh, never looked back. An aha moment, you know, I, I don't know if it's all about careers. Uh, how about cars? Uh, you know, I've had a passion my whole life. Well, not my whole life. I've had a passion for the Cunningham brand, Cunningham Automobiles, built by Briggs Cunningham, since, oh, probably the late 70s, early 80s. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I just became aware of this man who wanted to race at Le Mans, win with American cars. And to do that, he had to build his own streetcars to homologate his race cars. And, I just fell in love with the story and started to collect books and artwork and memorabilia, everything I could find out about Briggs Cunningham. And so one day, I'm at, this is about seven years ago, one day I'm at a, a giving a talk about barn finds to the Sports Car Club of America, Carolina region, annual awards banquet. And they wanted to have a guest speaker before they gave away their trophies for H production and F production and all that stuff. So I was the speaker. And I go up and, and talk about barn finds. And I talk, and had my little sh- slideshow presentation. I went to sit back down in my chair and eat my rubber chicken. <laughs> and the guy next to me said, what would be your ultimate barn find? And I said, well, my whole life it had been a cobra. Mm-hmm. But I have one of those. So I guess, you know, it sounds crazy, but it would be a Cunningham. I said, but it's crazy because there's only 25 of those in the world and, you know, rich guys own those cars. And he said, I know where there's a Cunningham. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I'm in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I said, where is it? He says, in Greenville, one town over. He said, a friend of mine's got it. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's probably got a Corvair engine with a fiberglass body and some weird looking kit car. Yeah. 
He said, I'll bring you there next week. And son of a gun, he brought me there a week later. And it was a, the, an honest to God Cunningham. Wow, man. Oh my I got to own this car. So I met the owner. And unfortunately, uh, it was not for sale. Uh, but it, he let me, you know, anytime you want to come and look at it, talk about it, whatever, feel free. And, and I just started to put the slow sell on this guy. Mm-hmm. It took several years. But now sitting in my garage is the second Cunningham ever made. Wow. And you're like, wow, how can a guy who wanted something that badly stumble across it? You know, what if I wanted a GTO Ferrari? Or <laughs> Would I have stumbled across that? Yeah. Uh, wow. And, you know, I've become friends with the Cunningham family. I, I have all sorts of incredible memorabilia now, photographs of my car, brand new, winning the the Watkins Glen Concourse d'Elegance in 52. I've got Briggs Cunningham's fur coat that he got when he went to Yale to watch football games in 1926. Oh my gosh. So, you know, Cunningham's have just, that's my aha moment. When I found that car in the garage, it was, oh my goodness, how did I become so lucky? Wow. Wonderful story. Got goosebumps listening to that one. That is fantastic. How about proudest moments in your business career, your life? Is there one that really stands out? I'm sure you've had many, but one that really has some meaning to you? Well, yeah, in fact, uh, very, very recently, like two days ago, Hmm. I'll tell you about this. My wife and I have one son, one child. His name is Brian. And when he was a little kid, I traveled all the time. I traveled to races all the time. That's that was my job, and that's how we, I made a living. Travel to races or meetings. I was always flying off to presentations and whatever. And so he went to a little um, school nearby, and one day the assignment was that he had to dress up the next day in the career that he hoped to one day be employed in. <laughs> Most kids came dressed as firemen or doctors or policemen. You know, they wore little uniforms or whatever. Mm-hmm. And my son, Brian, dressed in khakis, a blue blazer, a button-down shirt with a tie with a briefcase, and he was a PR guy. <laughs> and, you know, because that's, that's the only career he knew because that's what his dad did every day. And, yep. and so, you know, this kid who helped me work on Morris Miners and Mini Coopers and stuff as, a, as early as three years old was now, you know, at seven years old, already planning a career in public relations. And so let's fast forward to this week. And I flew out to Las Vegas to spend the week with my son who works for Ford Motor Company in the public relations department (laughs) where he has managed the 2015 Mustang introduction. And he was supervising the Mustang display at the SEMA show wearing khakis a blue blazer, a button-down <laughs> shirt, and a tie. He's now uh, 23, yeah. and he is the apple of my eye. He, yeah. he is, he is, and I, w- I was just standing back watching this guy. You know, he's on the cell phone. Jay Leonard's supposed to be here. Where is he? Where's Richard Petty? You know, I was like, this is exactly what I was doing 20 years ago myself, and, and sure. now the next generation's doing it. Oh, wonderful story. I'm, I'm sitting here just... A little tear in my eye because my son, who's going to be 21 this month, did the exact same thing in his elementary school where he dressed up in the exact same outfit and did a marketing presentation because I was involved in marketing most of my life. And uh, yeah, it's isn't it fun when those things come back around? He's still in college, Blake is, mm-hmm. but uh, he's studying industrial design back at uh, RISD, but um, 
who knows where he'll end up. But yeah, wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that very personal story. Fantastic. I'm so happy for you and, and your son. That is super. Let's have a little fun here. What was your first really, really, really special car? And perhaps you could share a memory you had with that vehicle. Well, I think my first real special car is a car that I is still in my garage. It's uh, I was 15 years old and walking with my friend. I went to high school with him. His name is Xavier Lucena. And he and I were walking across a schoolyard in the town on Long Island he lived in called Brentwood. And we're walking across the schoolyard. It's probably like a Saturday or something. And there was a fence. And I looked through the fence and, and there was a woody parked next to a barn. So look at that. And we ran over to the fence and looked at it. Wow. And the fence is like eight feet tall. So we, you know, ran all the way around the fence, around the block, you know, I had five minutes to get there, but we knock on the door. Can we go look at your Woody? Sure. And so, you know, go look at this 39 Ford Deluxe Woody. And eventually a guy comes out of the house. His name uh, was Richard Taylor. And he was a surfer. And he used this Woody kind of as a surf wagon. And But he had just bought a bread van and he was going to put beds in there and stuff. So he could go to the, he could go to Fire Island and go surfing and not have to go back home, stay, stay overnight at the beach, whatever. So he was selling this Woody for 300 bucks. So I went home, told my father about it. And he, you know, he said, wow, that's pretty cool. So we went over to look at it that night. And he said, boy, that's a neat car. So he didn't have 300 bucks. I didn't have $300. I was 15. He didn't have $300. Um, we were, you know, we lived very modestly. But there was a woman who loaned me the $300 who I used to do yard work for and um, got the car towed it home behind our Volkswagen square back on a rope and it was about a 20 mile tow and that was kind of interesting <laughs> and uh so my father and I worked on it on and off we didn't have a garage we didn't have any tools you know we had like a hammer and a vice grip or something <laughs> took it all apart you know we did the easy thing we took it all apart and then the expensive thing is putting it back together because then it needs to be repainted re-chrome re-machined and kind of lost interest lost money lost desire and sold it in 73 so i bought it in 1969 sold it in 73 to a guy in puerto rico and you know that kind of was the last i thought of it for a long time and until my wife and i said boy you, you know, we saw a couple of woodies at car shows and we said well, it'd be kind of fun to own a woody again so we started to casually look at a woody now what you know when i had that woody i just admit my girlfriend pat who's now my wife and you know uh she knew i was passionate about that car so she took it upon herself to find that car in Puerto Rico 26 years after I sold it. And uh, uh, it was three owner, two owners later, so it was a third owner in Puerto Rico, and ultimately wound up you know, buying it back. And, and it's in my garage, and I've driven it to, car, to California with my son. And it's actually uh, going to be featured in a, in a book that I'm writing right now. I just spent 14 days in that car out around several states discovering old cars in people's backyards. And, and the Woody was the icebreaker. The, you, when you pull into a, uh, a redneck's driveway in West Virginia, you know, if you pulled in with an SUV, it'd tell you to get the hell out of there. But you pull in a 39 Ford and he comes out and scratches his head. Why is this beautiful car parked in my driveway? And you become friends. <laughs> so that Woody's going to be featured in a new book that Motor Books will publish next September called Barn Find Road Trip. Nice. Wonderful. What a great story. How about current projects? Is there a project that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Well, you mentioned earlier in the show, 32 Ford Roadster that mm-hmm. I've wanted to build for a long time. And, I, and it's it's really, I'd say, 50% built. I mean, the 
frame is all boxed and I've got the right cross members in there to put a small block forward with a four-speed transmission and I've got a quick change rear, a Brookville body, I've got all the gauges, you know, I guess I could, if I got serious in six months, I could get it together. But I've, I've got too many cars and I've decided just to put some uh, some cars on the market because too many cars may sound fun and romantic from a distance, but when you own too many cars, uh, you have to, well, you got to keep them insured and registered. Then the tires go flat and the gas goes bad and the batteries go dead. And if you want to drive that car that's over there, you've got to move these two cars first. And then it's going to take you two hours to get those cars moved <laughs> to get that yep. one out. And then that one breaks down on the way to the gas station because the gas turned to jelly. So all, I want to get down to just the, you know, a number of cars that I really care about. Right. So I'll get back on that, on that hot rod project one of these days. But uh, right now I would like to restore my old Datsun 510, yeah. the, the car that was my street car slash race car. Nice. And I raced at places like Bridgehampton and Lime Rock and Briar Motorsport Park in Pocono back in the late seventies. I have that car and I'd like to restore it. It's, it's, I, again, that one was gone for, it's funny, for 26 years as well. I sold it to a friend who gave it to a friend who gave it to a friend who gave it back to me 26 <laughs> years later. The same same amount of years as the Woody, 26 years out of my life. Wow. And I used to have a Datsun repair shop, so I can do virtually everything on that car myself except for paint and fabrication. So I'm looking forward to just restoring that car to a, a really hunkered down, flared out, raspy exhaust uh, 510. Very cool. Can't wait to see that. Both of those cars, actually. That's great. Now, here's a funny question for you. It's a little bit revealing sometimes to people's personality. If you answer it in the right way, if you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? And it's not so much about your favorite car. It's more about who you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hmm. uh, I guess, you know, like I own... Two cars that mean a lot to me, the the Woody, 39 Ford, and a Cobra. And I think, you know, if I could marry those two together, <laughs> uh, it, would, it would be that because um, I'd, I'd say probably more the Cobra because, you know, I'm athletic. I, you know, I, this morning I ran six and a half miles and I've run the last several New York marathons. Wow. It's not very flashy and neither am I. You know, I'm a blue jeans and sneakers kind of guy. Now I wear a suit reluctantly once a year. For you know, maybe a funeral or a wedding or something like that. But a Cobra is just gets down to business, gets the job done with a smile on his face, and yeah. you know, I kind of feel I do the same thing. <laughs> I don't waste a lot of time doing fluffy things. I don't watch TV. I don't. Uh, I'm not involved in any other sports. Uh, I just you know get down to business and write books. Or the, in the Cobra case, Cobra's case, it, it gets down to business and and wins races or won races. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I guess it'd be the Cobra. I like that. I like that. Great answer. All right, Tom, we're up to what I call the last lap here. And you're a racer, so you know what that means. Pedal to the metal. One more lap to go. And this is where I fire off a series of questions. And you give me some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you're buckled up and ready to go? But this is not like an IQ test or personality profile, is it? Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what, what you come up with for me, okay? Yeah. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Buy from your heart, not from your wallet. Yeah. If you love a car, buy it, and don't worry if it's going to return on investment or not. Buy what you love. I like that. Great answer. Could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? 
one of my heroes in life is Roger Penske, and I love the uh, his personal and corporate motto, which is effort equals results. Hmm. You know, the more you put in, the more you get out, and yep. you make your own you make your own luck. So I'd just leave it at that. That's great. Do you have a resource that you're really fond of that you could share with our listeners? Maybe it's a website you really like or a blog that you get or... Oh, you know what? It would be National Public Radio. If oh. I have an inspiration, I'm an NPR junkie. Okay. And whenever I'm in a car or doing something else, that's always my white noise in the background. There you go. Perfect. Well, you talked about books. And other than the many books that you've written and you've read many books, is there one perhaps you can share with our listeners that you're really fond of, if you just had to pick one? I'll tell you a book that I read recently that has nothing to do with cars at all, but I heard an interview on the Diane Reem Show, again on NPR, and it was called A Higher Call, and it was about an incredible moment in, during World War II when uh, an American bomber plane, which had been strifed with bullets, had holes through it, it had dead and dying men inside their plane. You could see them right through the side of the plane. And this pilot was trying to get it back to England. True story. And a German fighter pilot came along. He said, I could take this guy out easily. And he flew next to it. And he said to him, so how is that thing even flying? It's got holes in the wings. It's got holes in the fuselage. I can look at people. And he decided there's no honor in taking down uh, an undefendable enemy. So he guided this American bomber across the English Channel through Nazi zones to safety. Wow. They didn't talk to each other. They just used sign language and whatever. And 40 years later, those two pilots met each other. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So, you know, and so it's, sometimes it's good just to get out of the automotive world a little bit to, to see that there's, there's another world out there. I'll remind our listeners that you can find these wonderful resources at com slash Tom Cotter or up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy, especially for a guy like you that has lots of cars and has loved lots of cars. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and it's not something you can sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, you're going to have to keep it. But money's no object. I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like today. What would that one vehicle be and why? It would be my Cobra. Your Cobra. You have it. (laughs) I have to tell you this. When I was in fifth grade, the Cobra was being manufactured, and I was 10. And a friend of mine went to the five and dime store and bought a book cover for me. His, he and his mother went to buy book covers and he bought a book cover for me, which has sports cars of the world. And it was Heelys and Lotuses and Jaguars. And it was this car called the Cobra. And I looked at, I've never seen it before. And it just, there was something so muscular and right about the look. And so I decided that that's the car I had to have. And when I, when I was able to actually go hunting for a Cobra, because the moon and the stars aligned in just the right way financially for me, it had to be a car that resembled that book cover when I was 10. And it had painted wire wheels. It had ho- no hood scoop, no side pipes, no roll bar, just a plain Jane 289 Cobra. And, you know, that's the car I've wanted since I'm 10, and I have it now, and there's nothing else. If I had to get rid of everything else in my life, I'd keep that car. Nice. Well, you're a fortunate guy. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, Tom, you've been great today, and you've taken me on a great ride. I've really enjoyed it, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Is there one parting piece of guidance you'd offer us before you drive off into the sunset in that Cobra? I would say, uh, well, I mean, the old the old deal, effort equals results. It's, if it's good enough for Roger Penske, it's good for everybody listening to this program. <laughs> Fantastic. And you're not the first guest here at Cars Yeah to share that quote by Roger great words to follow your life by. 
Listeners, again, you can find everything we've shared here today at carsyad.com slash Tom Cotter. And what's the best way for people to learn more about you and your books and what you're doing? Well, uh, I don't have my own website, but they can just uh, they can just Google my name, I suppose, and they'll, they'll either get a comedian from Phoenix named Tom Cotter or they'll get me. <laughs> uh, they can uh, get my books. And in those books, there are opportunities for readers to share their barn find stories of me. And sometimes those barn find stories wind up in my next book. So if they've got a good story, and it's more about the story than it is the car, if they've got a good barn find story and decent photographs, and I like it, Chrysler K cars need not respond. But almost <laughs> anything else is uh, fair game. Uh, my email address is my book. So I'm not going to give you my email address now because I want people to go out and buy the book. Okay. Well, I'll make sure that I list those up on the uh, the Cars yeah website on your show notes page. Tom, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time today and your expertise. It's been really fun learning more about your life and catching up with you, and I really appreciate you sharing the morning here with me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. All right. It's been a blast. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.